Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Megan. I'm talking to you on the internet. You are. Oh, wow. What a great way that you just set up our conversation today. Um, well, it's a Sunday and we're in your ears on a Sunday. That always means it's a more than mom episode, which is where we, I don't know, we kind of get away from like necessarily parenting topics and just talk about fun, fluffy things. And uh, today we're going to talk about how the internet made us better. Yeah. Well, brought us together. Is, it, it did. And I feel like this is a controversial topic because the internet and specifically these days, social media get kind of a bad rap as being like an overall negative influence in our lives. And I agree, they definitely can be. Like there's some really big trade-offs we've mm -hmm. taken with having um, this digital life that we all have. But the internet can also be massively powerful in a really good way. And, and in particular, like, you know, let's just acknowledge that you and I would not know each other if it wasn't right. for the internet. Um, this podcast would not exist because podcasts would not exist right. if not for the internet. I'm just picturing, um, did anyone in your life ever like order tapes, cassette tapes? So my Ooh. parents, like my dad in business, this is when I'm a kid. So like oh, in the yeah, 80s or early yes. 90s would get a course, say, or like a motivational series or something. And it would come in these big kind of binder size, but they weren't binders. You'd pop them open and there would be like 12 cassette tapes in the mail and then he listened to those. And I think his were about business or motivation or something. But I was just I had this flash of like a non-internet version of us like yes. coming through the mail on a cassette tape. I guess like there there have been things like this in different iterations, of course, before the Internet. But no, we would not exist as a relationship, a friendship or a podcast without the Internet. Right. I mean, I might have ended up being on the radio um, or in some way related to media. You know what I mean? But like it would have been a very different kind of media. And I was just thinking when I was a kid and used to record myself onto cassette tapes all the time, uh -huh. do that thing where you like break the bottom off and put tape over it so that you can record over like, you know what I'm talking about? Like no. a cassette tape that came from the store that okay. was like a, ba like a group had recorded music on it. Yes. If you really wanted to record over that music, you had to like break oh. something off the bottom of the cassette. 
and then you um, could do it's it. Kind of, this is kind of coming back to me. We just would tape over other tapes all the time, constantly. And then sometimes you'd tape over something you weren't supposed to or accidentally right. tape. But I, I don't remember as much taping over like commercially produced cassettes. And all well, of our even listeners that who are possible. younger than, than 35 are now. <laughs> if like you were less. really an egotistical child and you really wanted your particular <laughs> voice and ramblings to be on every cassette you could get your hands on. Um, you may also have tried something you like found that. A way. I found a way. Um, and I was also just thinking, Sarah, I don't know if I've talked about this on the show, but in the nineties, like the mid nineties, I worked at a home shopping network, but on VHS. Did I tell you about this? I think so. So like, it was like on a, and like on a VHS tape, but it was like watching, um, VHS so people then. would get them in the mail, like get yes. these, you would send oh, them in the mail. Okay. And then okay. you would watch the tape and decide what you wanted to buy and then call the 800 number. So, oh, that's yes, so funny. you're right. Maybe we would have magically found each other <laughs> and we'd have like cassette tapes out there. Like, I don't know, with our the mom hour. Um, and then hopefully, you know, the listeners wouldn't record over it. <laughs> or their kids would. Their kids would definitely <laughs> record over us. That's what I was doing as a child. I was taking like these random cassettes that I would find and making my own, you know, mixtapes over them. So I, I think that as I think that as slightly older moms, we have a little bit of an advantage because we really remember what life was like before the internet, right? Yes. And I will just say, for me, it was life changing as a young mom. Um, for, I mean, I was introduced to it before I was a mom, but like as a young mom, I really leaned in and took advantage of it, and particularly in, in the career arena. So we'll talk a little bit about more of those things today. But like, we just want to dive into some of the ways that the internet has changed our lives for the better, uh, including some fluffy things. Why not? It's yeah. a Sunday. Um, but also some really serious things that I think are really cool. So can I interject real quick? Cause I was just thinking about timing and if new listeners don't know exactly how old we are, that might be helpful. But I was thinking that internet, internet, like searching and browsing really came of age right about when you became a mom, right? Jacob is born in 98, 99. Okay. Um, so I would say like that is around the dawn of I, I had a browser internet, like starting to really take hold and email and things like yep. that. And then when I became a mom was early 2008, I was pregnant in 2007, 2008. So I became a mom right at the dawn of social media. So Twitter, I yeah. think had been born in 2006, I think, and Facebook in 2007 or something like that. Um, but I'll tell a little story later about my first experience with Facebook, which was when I was pregnant with my first. So it's kind of interesting, like your early, early motherhood really was the internet's big, like, yeah. What it, do you want to say? Like, like it, it became mainstream. It changed a lot between Jacob and Isaac too. But so when Jacob was born, so 97, there was like iVillage parents place, uh -huh. like those sites existed, um, which were like early, you know, like early forums and things forums. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and the search was very bad. Like I, uh, search was like Yahoo. Um, there was a couple like excite, I think was one. Uh -huh. There was a few search engines. I do not believe Google was on the scene yet. At least it wasn't so. well known. Yeah. And then by the time Isaac was either born or like a young baby, like Google was there. And that was a big deal because it was the first time you could actually search kind of intuitively. And it made sense. It wasn't just this like random dump of keywords. Um, right. And that changed a lot. And there were more like more forums. And then, yeah, we started moving toward like blogging became big when Isaac was still a little guy, like maybe two I actually pitched a story to American Baby Magazine, which I don't believe exists anymore, um, about mom blogging in 2004. It was accepted and then they sat on it for like four years and didn't publish it 
<laughs> until 2008. So that just shows you, like, I was a little ahead of the curve um, yeah. thinking most moms would care about blogs. But eventually they did. Eventually it yeah. became a very big deal. So, yeah, like things massively changed in the, my first decade of motherhood yeah. when it came to yeah. the Internet. Yeah. And then there you were. There, there <laughs> I was. And the blogs were there and you were there writing them. And I was like, oh, I like this. this All right. Fun. Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion, and because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code themomhour 15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. We are welcoming back Olive and June as a sponsor. And Megan, I'm so excited about this partnership because with spring right around the corner, I love refreshing the little things in my life, including my manicure. I am the biggest fan of doing my nails at home instead of at a salon because it's convenient, so much cheaper at just $2 a mani, and the results can't be beat. It all begins with Olive and June. Yeah, Olive and June's mani system has everything you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. These are profesh tools designed just for DIY. A couple of the items included are their best-selling poppy, which makes it so easy to brush on a smooth coat, even with your non-dominant hand, which you do have to use about half the time, it turns out. <laughs> and their award-winning cuticle serum, which is so nourishing and a finishing touch I love. Well, I've been a big fan of their quick dry polish for a while now. It seriously dries in about a minute, making it perfect for busy moms. Visit oliveandjune.com slash themomhour for 20% off your first mani system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first mini system. Okay, Sarah. So let's start with um, kind of this idea of learning. Um, and let's talk about some practical skills or even like slightly less practical skills that you learned thanks to the internet. And I'll go first on this one. Um, again, like my entire career really did start online. Um, even though I was doing a lot of print work at the beginning, I learned how to pitch my work as a freelance writer on the internet. Mm -hmm. um, I learned how to do an effective job search on the internet. And actually, when I was like actively working outside the home, um, both just pre-kids and like during, you know, like kind of on and off again during my early motherhood, I really learned a lot about how to find jobs online. Like that wasn't something I had learned how to make a resume in high school, not internet, um, but didn't learn how to use that resume. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do with it. Right. Um, I learned how to do some basic HTML coding. I started doing that really early, like 96, 97. I had like a little, not even a blog site, but like a little website and mm -hmm. played with that a lot. Um, 
jumping forward a little bit, I learned how to listen to a podcast on the internet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, that took me some time to figure out. Like, I didn't really know. I knew that I knew that they were out there, but I didn't really know how to listen. So I just think that's kind of funny. Um, and I will just say a lot of my early parenting knowledge came from the internet. Um, when Jacob was born again in 97, a lot of the information, I mean, I was getting all of my information from books and a small handful of magazines, and it was very basic. Like, I feel like there just wasn't the bounty of even different perspectives on parenting mm -hmm. and pregnancy and birth and all that, that wasn't like widely available at your local bookstore. Um, and so I learned a lot online, a lot, a lot online, just about different perspectives about parenting, different tactics, different ways to approach mm -hmm. um, different parenting techniques. And then some, and then some fun, like household skills. Like I learned how to embroider on the internet. That's much more recent. Um, a lot of the cooking skills I learned came from YouTube videos and little mm -hmm. tutorials online. So it's hard to look at my life and not see a place where the internet, like to see a place where the internet hasn't touched it in some way with some practical skill. Right. Right. Yeah. And again, with our having some of our early adult lives, not having the best internet, maybe there was internet, but not, not like streaming video everywhere always. Um, you and I remember when you used to learn things another way. And I'm thinking about our listeners who like just have always been able to learn everything on the internet. So it's yeah. kind of interesting. A couple specific skills that I for sure learned from the internet, photography and photo editing is a big one. Maybe that's not super practical, but it's very skills-based. Like it's not just um, looking at something for inspiration and trying to copy it, which that's, that's good too. But I actually like, I read tutorials. I taught myself how to use a DSLR camera. I taught myself different editing softwares. And I, I just, I went from zero knowledge about photography and photo editing to whatever intermediate knowledge all through the internet. Um, and then on the fluffy side, like I think I have learned a lot of design skills, how to put together an outfit or a tablescape, how to do makeup. I makeup mm. techniques. Oh, makeup, like, yeah. I think I've always loved that kind of artistry and I don't have a lot of self-confidence in it. So the internet gave me like a quick tutorial and I would think, Oh, I can do that. That's like, I have that in me. So whether it's like decorating an area of my home or makeup or style, it's like I would watch the skill or the tutorial or read the how to. And then I would think, Oh, that's not as it's, it's not as hard as I think it is. So it's almost like it was both the skills and a little bit of validating that I, I have a design eye somewhere in me. Um, I will say the same about coding and HTML, how to build a website or a blog, how to use WordPress and do like back end coding. I completely taught myself through Googling those skills in like 2010 through 2013 was heavy into web stuff that I still rely on those skills today. Um, and then a little bit of graphic design. So yeah, there, those are, these are all things that are practical in my work and also fun yeah. But would not have, I, you know, I, I did not get those skills anywhere but the internet. You know, just thinking, like hearing you like name those things and list them off um, and, and our talk, like putting us in the, on that timeline, again, the perspective, it's also crazy how the way we like acquire, how the way we've used the internet to acquire skills has changed. So if you were like just getting online right now for the first time, You'd maybe be learning things through reels or TikToks or like really quick yeah. little videos. Yeah. Okay. So go back like, you know, five years that didn't exist. Maybe you were like watching videos on YouTube, listening to a podcast, reading like an eHow or WikiHow uh -huh. article. 
Go back like 10 years. There's no YouTube. Well, I guess more long, longer than that now. It's been, YouTube's been around a long time. But go back to like, you know, 2004, say. Okay, so I don't think there was YouTube in 2004. And if there was, there was not much on it. No, there, even, I would say even like 2008, nine, there was maybe YouTube. But when I was doing like, when I was learning photography, it would often be long form blog posts, which I'm yeah. sure is where you're headed with this, yes. where it's like like a very long step by step, maybe with some photos or some screenshots, but no video. Yeah. And and it was very um, homespun. Like a lot of the things you were learning were just from other people because like mm-hmm. the bigger publishers and things hadn't figured out how to cash in on that yet. So often you were learning from other people and they're sort of like homespun blogs. With, yeah, like just long, 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 long. It's not well edited. The pictures are terrible. You know, it's just so funny, like how quickly things have changed and how quickly the way we can learn things on the internet has changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, okay. So sort of along the same lines and, uh, but this is a little bit broader, Sarah, um, and you go first on this one. What are some ideas or maybe points of view that you were exposed to because of the internet? I mean... So many. Right. And the Internet, the dawn of the Internet kind of coincides with my really becoming an independent adult timeline wise in the early 2000s. So I just feel like so many is the answer. But I'll I'll tell one quick story. I was an editor for Scottsdale Moms blog and like this is probably 2011. And so I had five or six writers writing about motherhood and parenting and pregnancy and they would turn their articles into me. And I got a blog post from a, a brand new mom. I think she was pregnant with her second. She had one tiny baby. So she was even a newer mom than I was. And she wrote a whole story about eating her placenta after delivering. And this is, I'd been a mom now for a few years. I ran in a lot of motherhood circles. I, this was not on my radar. And she didn't encapsulate into little pills. She just ate it. She pretty she like much just it? ate it. I No, I think it was. I think it was sliced and then frozen and added to smoothies, maybe. And of course, and she wrote a very fun post of it. She's still on the Internet. I still see her stuff on the Internet. She's a blogger and content creator. This is, again, more than 10 years ago. And I was just like, okay, I don't I haven't been exposed to all the motherhood things. At this point, I thought I had heard of the things and I knew about home births and I knew. Um, So I guess that's just a little example of the internet is constantly exposing me for the very first time to something I've never heard of. And once I'm exposed, I feel like it's like a little opening. Like right now I'm fascinated by women who are growing their gray hair out naturally. And like, it's like a big thing on Instagram. If you're like in your forties is like watching these women go from like colored hair, you know, dyeing their hair to gray and like the transition and growing it out. Um, that again, that was not on my radar because I wasn't 42 with gray hair. And then when it's, once it's on my radar, I think then I start to notice things in real life. So I'm rambling here, but I think the point is for the internet shows me something for the first time. And then I start to see it in real life. And I think being aware of that and also being aware of maybe the closed circuit of the internet content that you are consuming, because that happens to all of us, even with the best of intentions, we're truly not opening ourselves to every perspective on the internet, even if we think we are. The algorithm makes it very difficult. Our own biases make that very difficult. So I'm not saying that I have uh, been exposed to every possible new idea on the internet, but I definitely have moments where I'm like, huh, I didn't know that was the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, well, I didn't, I, I did know about the placenta thing, but remember I was running with like the home birthy people. Yes. However, I would not have known about the home birthy people if not for the internet. So mm-hmm. I guess I had the same experience. I just had it so early that it feels like it was always part of my, um, it was always like in the soup for me. Right. <laughs> See my little joke I just made? Yes. Because I think some people make placenta into soup. Um, but like I learned about lotus birth um, by stumbling across an article. We talked about lotus birth before, right? Well, it's remind where me. you don't detach the placenta. You just like leave it on the baby. Right. For, until it like until the umbilical cord just like rots. And I that was one where I was like, OK, like I I I had to wrap my mind around the fact that this was like a almost like a spiritual belief because there's not mm-hmm. really much science that would support doing that necessarily. But it's a very personal very mm-hmm. fringe thing. I don't think a lot of people do it or talk about it, but hey, if they're out there, you'll find them on the internet. So um, yeah, so that was my placenta moment, but uh, it was one of those <laughs> like, oh, well, well, okay, all yeah. right. And then once you kind of start un- pulling those threads, man, you can go, you can go down some, some rabbit holes for sure. Um, and I, I grew up in a very small town. It was a very conservative town and I don't just mean politically. I just mean like very homogenous, very mm-hmm. same, same. Um, and I didn't really have a lot of experiences and I actually grew up in two different small towns, but they were still like small in their own ways, you know, and people who are from really small towns will totally know what I'm talking about. And I just didn't really experience people outside that world much until college. And then even in college, I felt like I was always like a little bit removed from it. Like, I don't really know how to dip my toe in everyone's hair is weird and people don't wear deodorant Mm -hmm. and like girls aren't shaving their armpits and what's with all the hippie skirts. and I just didn't like I was kind of like ah, a little freaked out about it. And it wasn't really until the Internet where I was able to really humanize very mm. different perspectives and be like, oh, so there's like people have all different kinds of ways of thinking about things. People who were much more conservative than people I grew up with or knew, mm-hmm. maybe I just didn't know, you know, and then people who were very much on the other side. And again, both politically and just like lifestyles and ways of looking at the world and I think that I've always been actually personally fairly moderate, um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty independent. I can be rather contrarian, but I can also really see like any side to any debate at any time, which is very mm-hmm. frustrating during political um, mm-hmm. campaign years. But but what the access. Like really having access to people with their human interpretations of those ideas mm-hmm. was very different. It was just like it was very humanizing. And so even though I wouldn't say I haven't shifted like that far left, I can now stand from where I'm at on any particular, you know, position and go, Oh, okay. I understand why that person in Wyoming thinks this. And this person in new England thinks that. And like, I just, I can see the big picture mm-hmm. and it just, it makes controversy controversy actually very uncomfortable because I don't want to, I just kind of want to be like, but I see why he thinks mm-hmm. that. I think why she thinks that. I see why they think that. And I, it's like, um, it's it's been broadening in a way, but it was easier before. <laughs> I don't know how to put that. But I think it's good when it's hard. It's harder for me to formulate an opinion than it used to be. But I think it's good when it's hard to formulate an opinion. Yes. Well, I think anytime we have to check ourselves before, like, declaring a capital O opinion, yeah. is is a good thing. Even if right. you even if in the end that opinion is still yours, that like that requiring us to check ourselves or to check our 
biases or or why we think what we think is always a good thing. I think. Yeah. Um. That that yeah. sort of looking internal. Um. I am so curious. I mean, everything you just said. I'm so curious if it's different now. Adults coming of age on the internet in today's time if that experience would be the same, because what you're talking about is having more empathy and seeing more nuance and humanity in different viewpoints than what you grew up with. And I wonder, and I don't know, but I wonder if it's actually the opposite now. Um, Well, from what we know about the algorithms for the algorithms. And yeah, so just again, a timing thing. Well, and and let me just interject on that really quick that because I was so er such an early adopter, my social media platforms have people from vastly different segments of my life Mm -hmm. on them. And they're all sort of equally represented. So like I have the people I went to high school with, I would have people I went to elementary school with. Then I have like my East and West Coast writer friends. Like it, it couldn't be more a melting pot mm-hmm. of um, at least Americana, if not the world, right? But it it is, I do think that's unique. And I do think that also being on multiple platforms helps with that. If you're just mm-hmm. on Facebook all day, I think you would have a very different idea of what the world actually is mm-hmm. um, than if you're like maybe spread across three or four different platforms. So just, yeah. that's just another yeah. Thought. No, yeah, that's a good point. And I have one more thought on this question because it's such a good one. Um, I, I forgot to mention we're talking about points of view we were exposed to because of the Internet. And a really pivotal one for me was around women in the workforce, working mothers. I think when I had a baby and again, the timing made it that blogs, social media was in its infancy. Blogs were thriving and I was figuring out what being a working mom was going to be for me. And I think I really went into motherhood with a very cartoonish archetypal, like either stay at home mom or like corporate boss lady with a briefcase and pantyhose. Um, like really like this a, came a from like the eighties movies. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and yeah. I mean, this is 2008 and I, I certainly had <laughs> a f- examples around me that weren't that, but I guess I didn't have enough or I'm a slow learner. So the internet really, truly challenged my thinking on, um, different ways that being a working mom can look different reasons that people decide to stay home or decide to work. Like just basically everything, like the menu was not binary and it was so much more. Um, there was so many more perspectives in that like alleged binary than I thought they were. And now that's so like, that's so ingrained in me and it kind of quickly became ingrained in me. I would say in the first like three years of motherhood, but really I went into motherhood with a, with a very like, narrow understanding of the choices to either work or stay home if that choice is even afforded to you. And within a few years, I really like had been exposed to a lot more for the better. Yeah. Well, I think that what's coming to my mind is that the reason those archetypes stick in your head is that they're noticeable. Like, you know, the, the boss lady in the power suit with the briefcase, like on, you know, on the, at the high rise in Manhattan or whatever, that will, that image will stick in your mind. I'm sure you grew up watching, well, you didn't really watch a lot of sitcoms growing up, but let's pretend you had watched any television when you were a kid and you would have seen sitcoms with all kinds of working moms, but I feel like their, their working life was very downplayed. I can only Mm -hmm. think of a handful of sitcoms where there was a lot of the mom's inner life that was really explored in any Mm, way. It was like, she can't, you know, at the end of the day, whether maybe she wasn't like a a nurse or maybe she went to an office every day or maybe, but it wasn't really like a big part of the plot line in a lot of the shows that I was watching at least. So you didn't, so the, what sticks in the head is the thing. Her absence was, was the character trait. (laughs) 
right? Like not what she did while she was gone, but exactly she wasn't there. Yeah. Or, or the fact that she was still home making dinner at night. Like there just wasn't, yeah, it was just very different. So, um, I, I totally agree that I, I also had sort of a really black and white binary view of what it might look like to like choose one of these kinds of being like kinds of motherhood. Mm -hmm. I thought it was this or that, not Mm -hmm. like this or this or this or this or this or that or that or that or that. Right. Or this for two years and this for three years and this for 10. Yeah. 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 Well, here's another question that's sort of related um, a little bit conceptual here. And this was your question. I like this one, Sarah. What is something you've changed your mind about because of the internet? And I'll go first on this one. And I'll say like, I think that I was more open to seeing the value of social media because I was already online for a while before social media became a thing. And I'll explain what I mean. Um, Mm -hmm. I was a pretty early adopter to the internet and that's kind of unlike me. Like I'm not really an early adopter type. I usually like to kind of hold back. I'm not a late adopter, but I'm not like the first person on things Um, because I like to make sure it's a thing before I get Mm -hmm. on board. So that's, you know, you have to sometimes convince me to try an app or something like that. And I'm like, well, I mean, do I really need this in my life? (laughs) The internet for me was different. I think I just recognized from like day one how much power there could be in being able to connect with people in real time all over the world. Like that blew my mind. Mm -hmm. But also being able to find information that you otherwise wouldn't be able to, to be able to kind of fake it till you make it. I mean, that was Mm -hmm. not a thing really before the internet. The ability to just be like, oh, sure, I'll figure that out and then run to the computer and Google it. Yeah, that didn't exist. Like you had to, you really had to know. And I think if you had, um, I was always someone who wanted to be right. Like if I was going to bother to open my mouth and say something, I wanted to be right. And if I didn't know that I could be right, I would be quiet. And so the internet really changed me in that way. And that it gave me, it like empowered me to like kind of act like a dude a little bit and just be Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I don't know. And then just figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, by the time social media came along, I think if I had not been really active online up until that point, when Twitter came out and then Facebook and so on, I would have been like, this is dumb. And I would have been one of those people saying, this is so stupid. This is never going to be a thing. You know, um, Mm -hmm. that would have been me. And so actually like being online made me see the value of being more online. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah. It does. does. And this is one where we're actually kind of opposite. So the thing that I feel like the, the internet has changed my mind about is actually what you're talking about. And that is, the whole concept of connecting with people that you've never met in real life, we call them like lovingly internet friends, right? Sure. Took me a very long time, not only to like believe it was real, but to embrace for myself. And so this is a, a, a change of mind for the better because I now have internet friends I love dearly, but I was very slow to this. And um, when Facebook came out, I mentioned earlier, I was pregnant with my first child. I was working and a work colleague said, you know, this is different than MySpace. I had not gotten involved in anything pre-Facebook or, and I wasn't on Twitter. And he said, you know, people are using their real name and photo and really using this to like connect with maybe people that they grew up with or different. And that was how it was explained to me. And he said, you should try it. And so I got on and my first friend requests were, so I'm 27 at this point. I'm working, I'm not in the state or city where I grew up. I've since gone away to college and then moved to a different state. So I'm like two moves away from my growing up friends. The people I kept in touch with already were already in my life, right? We had phone calls occasionally, like we would send each other birthday cards. But then I got on Facebook and I got all these friend requests from 
people I hadn't talked to in about exactly 10 years. I was about 10 years after high school and it freaked me out. I thought it was so weird that we would all then go, go like poking each other. Cause that's what you did. And like reminiscing <laughs> poking, about, I forgot about <laughs> poking. poking. And so this is my, I I'm admitting that I had a real like judgmental critical reaction to it. And I was like, why? I don't get it. Like if I was meant to stay friends with you since high school, we would be we would have some amount of contact in the last 10 years. And I felt, it felt almost invasive. Like I don't want like Ben from choir to see the same information about me that like my work colleague cubicle that I just met does it. The whole thing. I just was probably like a, like a grumpy old lady about it, I guess. Well, so, well, wait, wait, wait. I want to say yeah. something really quick. You were, <laughs> I, I, I was definitely open and receptive to social media but the Facebook thing freaked me out at first too. Like okay. my, when I was first on Twitter, ain't nobody from my high school on Twitter back in 20, you know, I think it was like 2007 that I got on. So it right. did feel like my own stomping, like my, my playground that was brand new that I could pick and choose who was on it. Facebook, I got on, I was like, who are all these people? Why is like my aunts and my you yeah. know cousins and like, yeah, the kid I went to high school with. And do you remember back in those days, along with poking, I believe <laughs> people went through some pretty big like mental gymnastics not even mental gymnastics like digital gymnastics to restrict who could see their stuff I remember that being a big thing for a long time and now I feel like no one cares anymore but remember yeah. you could set up different like different groups could see certain posts yeah. you could make it like this one's this group of friends only and this and I feel like people used to be really locked down and then at some point everybody just stopped caring yeah That's how I mean it there's to me. definitely still <laughs> I think there's definitely still that at Facebook, but you're right. It became more normal to let everybody see everything after, after a while. Yeah. Um, and, and to your point about Twitter, I was also kind of in the same way I was weirded out by reconnecting with people I had known in real life. I was also, uh, I wouldn't say weirded out, but I was very shy. I was very uncomfortable with the idea of connecting with strangers I had never met. So in a, in a way I was like, sort of slow on both of those. And then now fast forward, however many years, you know, almost 14 years later, um, I, I very much see the value in, in all of these things. Actually, I have made some reconnections of real life high school and college friends that have become way more meaningful because of the internet. I have met strangers on the internet or like friendlies through work and things and have real relationships. So I, I guess the point is I have changed, totally changed my perception of both um, using the internet to add depth to relationships that started in real life, number one, and number two, develop new relationships with people that maybe you're never going to see in real life, maybe never, or maybe once. And then yeah. those still can be meaningful connections. So I was just real slow. I was a real well, slow adopter to all of but that. But it's a weird, it, it's a very strange thing to think about. And, and I think I had had so much practice yeah. because of um, the way, again, the anonymous worlds I lived in as a new mom, the anonymous internet worlds made it feel kind of safe. Mm -hmm. And it was like, like a practice ground. And then I, mm -hmm. I didn't like, well, I still, you know, we both have feelings about Facebook, but I, I was a real slow, I was very slow to warm up to Facebook. I had an account really early, but it was not my favorite place to hang out. Still isn't, but I did get into it for a while. Um, I think that's true of a lot of blog, like a lot of early internet bloggers and writers. I think really like the, the social media, um, Dawn really broke their hearts in a lot of ways because of, because of that, like what blogs had done was create a space that was sort of 
I don't know, more intimate or more like proprietary. And then social media moved the conversation and took it out of. Anyway, I've, I've heard that from a lot of OG bloggers. It, it moved it to, you know, someone else's platform and yeah. then and then is now controlled by that platform. Exactly. Who will tell you what you get to see and, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and make you pay for it if you want to reach an audience. And it was very, very different. It's, it's almost it's almost like a it's hard to remember when my brain was wired differently about the way I found things that I would go. I would, I would, instead of going to one place and have everything fed to me, I used to go hop around yeah. from mm-hmm. place to place. And it's weird to even try to orient myself to that world because mm-hmm. it's so different from what I do now. But yeah. yeah. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, Sarah. So um, continuing this conversation, what is an opportunity, and this could be a professional or personal opportunity that you absolutely would not have had were it not for the internet? Okay, well, uh, before I actually answer for myself, we got the nicest voicemail yesterday from a listener, Megan. We're used to getting questions from listeners, but we don't as often just get a voicemail that's just like a statement rather than a question. So this came from Sarah, and it it actually, I think, sets up my answer for this question perfectly. So I want to play it first. So here's Sarah's voicemail. Hi, Megan and Sarah. My name is also Sarah. Um, and I have been a listener since January of 2020 when my son was born. Um, and I just wanted to send you a thank you. You were one of the first podcasts I ever listened to. Um, and since then, my subscriptions have increased dramatically. But you've really inspired me to see podcasting as a way to share information. And today I just recorded my first two episodes of a new podcast with a coworker. And I am so excited about this as a way to reach a different audience. And I never would have even considered it if I hadn't been listening to how effortless the two of you make it sound. So I work for an environmental nonprofit in Nebraska, and our podcast will be on the topic of making sustainable gardening approachable and doable to people. And I'm just really looking forward to to sharing my love of that topic with people through podcasting. So I just wanted to say thank you and keep going. I will be forever listening. Okay. Well, first of all, that like totally made our day. It was just really, really nice. And I want to listen to that podcast because. um, What a fascinating topic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I definitely want to listen. Yeah. So we will, um, we'll track Sarah down and we will link it up if it's, I think it's ready to go either now or soon, um, her podcast. So the, the kind words to us about podcasting, sort of opening someone's eyes to the fact, not, not just that 
a mom podcast is a thing, but that podcasting as a medium is a way to share information just reminded me very much of how the internet opened my mind to possibilities in my career. So back to your original question about an opportunity I wouldn't have had if not for the internet. I think specifically the way that I re-entered the workforce after staying home, after becoming a stay-at-home mom for a short little bit, after leaving like traditional workforce, staying home, my on-ramp back into work was very gradual and very flexible. And I don't, I can't see a world in which I thought that was even possible without the internet. I I can see a world in which I became a freelance writer or like to your point earlier, found, you know, use the skills I had to maybe cobble together some flexible work that maybe I did from home. I mean, I think that could have existed, but what the internet did was show me examples of women working different amounts of time, working in different types of freelance jobs. Um, And I think, again, going back to that binary thinking that I was prone to, I don't think I would have thought that was possible. And then, of course, I couldn't have done the job itself because the jobs I took were internet writing jobs. Like I was writing and editing for blogs. So the opportunity that the internet showed me was that there was opportunity on the internet. Yeah. Is that like, I don't know, it feels like like a mental puzzle. This has been a couple of those things, though, right? Like the thing that the Internet taught me was that there are things to learn on the Internet. Like there's, <laughs> yes, exactly. like it's very meta, but it makes sense because we are in a metaverse. So, we are. Uh, we are. Whether we like it or not. Um, well, very similar, Sarah. So I did mention earlier, like I started off as a magazine writer, print. You know, I was writing print. The first pitches I sent out were all sent out on paper with like yeah. a self-addressed stamped envelope. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if people even know what those are anymore. Um, so that they could send me back rejection upon rejection. And I, I, I guess it's plausible that I would have found my way into some kind of media career. I just know, I mean, it wouldn't look obviously anything like it does now, because if there were no internet, again, this wouldn't exist. But even the way I did it, the way I found it, the way I was able to connect with other people to talk about it, even if I'd never done anything but write for print, the internet was what helped me find the people that helped me learn how to do that well. Yeah. Um, And then to take that even a little bit further, back in, you know, the early 2000s, kind of up until probably like the late 2000s, uh, the aughts, I mean, um, I went to a ton of traditional writers conferences. And, you know, I haven't been to one of these in several years. I don't know what they're like now, but they were fairly stuffy. I mean, it was like you would, you'd go, you'd be at like a hotel and you'd walk around the convention center and, um, Freelance writers aren't the don't have a reputation for being the most natalie dressed people. It was just kind of just like this group of sort of, I don't know, like rather schlumpy looking people. I don't, you uh-huh. know, it's fine. Like it's great. But that was like my impression was like it was very kind of stuffy and old school, but you'd yeah. learn a lot. Like you'd go in and learn a lot. And I remember the first time I went to an actual social media conference. And I was like, what on earth is this? I feel like I'm in a game show. I was like, there's a concert. What? Like it was totally night and day, the experience. And everyone was young and people were like dressed really cute. And it was so different that it opened, then opened my mind again. And there was like legit celebrities at these things. And I'd be like, what is going on? Like, I think I know that person and they're a celebrity. And the fact that I'm at this conference where I paid the same amount of money as everyone around me and 
All I had to do was pay 400 bucks or whatever. And I'm like standing right next to some famous person. I think what it did is it shrunk the world down for me a little Mm -hmm. bit to where I realized how accessible big things were. And that That obviously there would not be blogging on social media conferences, if not for blogging and social media. So I don't see a world in which I would have wound up with with, surrounded by people doing such a variety of interesting things if it hadn't Mm -hmm. been for the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and which has opened the, us up to really cool opportunities that, you know, I take for granted now, but like 15 years ago would have blown yeah. my mind. So, um, yeah, just, it, it made me think so much bigger about, about what my career could be. And still to this day, I think bigger, like I still think bigger than I would have Yeah, if I had stayed in my little, like, you know, writing magazine articles world, which was a great world to be in. I loved it. And I, it, there's no complaints. Um, but it was rather, um, it was rather just like in a box yeah. and I, and now nothing I do feels like it's in a box. Yeah. Which is no cool. boxes, no yeah. boxes, no boxes. Um, okay. So this one I think is funny cause we both had a little bit of trouble, more trouble than we should have had with it, Sarah, but I'll go first on this one. Um, what is a product you never would have known existed if not for the internet? And, um, we did do a whole episode about hashtag influenced where we talked about how influencers influenced us to buy certain things. Yeah. But this is more about like, literally we wouldn't know these things even were a thing. If not for the internet, how would we know? Not like someone influenced us to buy it or try it, but like there's a whole category of products out there that are not found on store shelves. Right. Right. So, um, I just had a really hard time with this because I think I'm surrounded by them and I don't even know it. Mm -hmm. One that popped into my head right away was like high end curling irons. I bought one for Christmas myself for Christmas. I still can't figure out how to use it. Um, But I wouldn't have known that someone would spend that much money on a curling iron if if the Internet hadn't told me. Instagram told me. Um, um, The bevy of non-alcoholic beverage options that I've been trying out over the last few weeks that I haven't been drinking alcohol. I mean, like I wouldn't have known. Right. There were all of these sort of like direct to consumer non-alcoholic tonics and wines and beers and spirits like I just wouldn't. Well, they wouldn't be on the store shelves. Like in my old life, anything that wasn't on a store shelf right? or maybe an as seen on TV, you know, infomercial, they didn't have that kind of budget. They just didn't exist to me. And right. now direct to, to consumer online just makes everything exist to you. Things you didn't know could exist. So and I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that has ramped up even in the last two or three years, probably oh, pandemic yeah. too. Like just the amount. So yeah, I, I made a list of some silly things too. Again, I tried to frame this as like, if I was limited only to the stores in my town, or like you said, maybe a TV commercial for something, what would I not even know existed? So here's what I came up with. Literally anything made out of recycled plastic bottles, because I okay. feel like there is this whole, like now you can get a bathing suit made out of recycled plastic bottles, uh, uh, sneakers, bedding, my comforters made out of recycled plastic bottles. There's a there's like a big focus, it seems. I know a focus on sustainability, of course, but also on like alternative materials that I don't think that would have even been on my radar if I was just living my life in yeah. my town shopping at the store. Um Houseplants are so big right now, but there are some very specific houseplant related products that I would never have imagined exists like and maybe I get fed the ads for these. But I just if I had a couple houseplants, I just probably would water them like once a week and call it a day. But man, there are a lot of accessories and accoutrement. And I think maybe that's something the Internet does 
to all leisure activities? Is it just like opens up the number of nerdy ways you could throw money at a hobby? Yeah. Um, washable rugs. I, I'm in my like shopping around town. I don't think I would have encountered the amount of washable rugs that are fed to me in my Instagram feed. Um, trays that sit over the top of your bathtub where you can put your book <laughs> and your wine. I don't even take baths, but I see like, these are things I see pictures of that. I'm like, Oh, people get in their bath and then they have like a table. Now it's funny their- to me that because that was definitely on my radar way back in the day, but that's yeah. I'm a bath enthusiast. So. Yeah. And I, I wasn't, so I wouldn't have been looking for it. Maybe I'd see it in a magazine or something. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then I have one like micro mini story. That's kind of funny. Cause I was thinking of a time when I literally, we found something on the internet that we would not have found otherwise product, except the product was our house. So the house that we lived in in Orange County for six years, which I loved that house. We had one day to find a house and we were driving around with this really well-meaning realtor who was lovely, but she was for sure. She was in her fifties, but like tech wise, she was really, there's lots of people in their fifties who are very tech savvy and she wasn't. So she had printouts of MLS listings and she had a list of houses she was taking us to And Brian's on his phone looking at the MLS app and Googling school districts. And he's like, hey, um, I think her name is Jenny. Hey, Jenny, what what about this one right here? And she was like, "Mm -hmm, yep. So I have this list and we're going to. And Brian's like, no, no, no. There's a house. house. Like there's a house. Like it's pretty close to here. Things have been updated since you printed your list. (laughs) Exactly. Like there's a school district that seems pretty good. Like it checks all our boxes. I'm not sure why it's not on your printed out list. And she's like, oh, really? Okay. Well, well, what about this one? And we were like, no, seriously, can you just drive us to this house right now? Like you're now our Uber driver. You are no right. longer a realtor. Will you please take us? And that ended up being our house. I love so it. So th- thank you, internet. And it has democratized a lot of things. And of course, that's not to take away from realtors because I know some amazing realtors. I would never be able to find a house without them. But in this case, it was like Google and MLS online and us. And this lady was just driving us around essentially like, please take us to this house. And right. then that was our house. I think that's so funny. Um, when you were talking about like the, I don't know, like the, the niching down, like literally anything you want to get into, like houseplant accessories, whatever. Embroidery. Um, the, yeah. Embroidery. Yeah. Whatever. There is like, there's now this whole world, like a co- anything can be a cottage industry of accessories for whatever the thing is that you're into. And the one that just popped into my head that I had forgotten about, I, I think I blocked it, um, is that now if you're really into your cat, you can, <laughs> you can buy a fake cat tongue that you hold in your mouth and then like lick your cat with it. What? It's like, oh my God. I actually think it's called lick and it's like a big tongue and you hold it like it with your teeth and then you pretend to lick your cat and it like brushes them. I'm and feeling I learned... like super uncomfortable, like as if this <laughs> conversation should not be like on a family friendly <laughs> podcast, even though technically I know that's not what it's about, but it's, it's making I, me very I, sweaty. <laughs> you got the pricklies. Is this I do. Say? So I don't to this day know if it's like a for real product <laughs> or like a gag gift, but I have seen it a lot like uh, on Instagram. Um, that's it's been fed to me on Instagram and I think on Facebook and I'm not, I mean, I do look at a fair number of cat, I guess, photos on Instagram, but I don't, I'm not weird about it. I don't think <laughs> so. It's going to get fed to me now. It's going to show up in my, it, it, um, it will. If anybody has one of these for your cat, uh, we apologize and please don't send us pictures. If you actually, I do. I want you to set, I want you to normalize this for me. So yeah. Yeah. Send I'm me sure a picture it's... of you nurturing your cat by pretending to lick it way less. Kinky that it sounds like. 
I don't think so, Sarah. I'll send you a picture of it later. You're going to think it's just as kinky as it sounds. Oh, my gosh. So, okay. Um, last question. Hmm, I'm squeaking. <laughs> and you'll go first on this one, Sarah. What is a relationship you would never have made if not for the internet? And of course, no, we can't talk about each other. No fair. Everyone knows we met on the internet and we yes. would not know each other if not for that. So, right. you know, dig deep into the recesses of your brain and figure out some right. other important person. Right. More important Besides than you, me, though. Not, it, not as important as you, right. but okay. after, the, after the APEC. <laughs> Then what? Um, so I'll mention two totally different things. So one is a true internet friend, like someone that I literally met because of and on and have built a relationship with on the internet. And that's Kelsey Wharton of the Girl Next Door podcast, who I uh, consider a very good personal friend of mine. And I was thinking about how we connected and, and I it really does encompass a lot of aspects of the internet. So I think that both Kelsey and Erica found me because I had that semi-viral blog post about um, pumpkin spice lattes in 2014, 2013, something like that, um, where I was real angry about fall in Arizona. And they were both Arizona bloggers and they had a podcast. And so we connected somehow then. Then I started listening to their podcast. This is before, even before the kitchen hour, Megan, I think, because they were really, really early. And I started reading Kelsey's blog and then we eventually connected on social. And now we have a friendship via Voxer where we talk on Voxer and you know, we've only hung out in real life maybe twice. Um, and I consider Kelsey like a very good personal friend. Um, so that is like an example of a true internet based from the beginning internet relationship. Yeah. Um, but then on the other end, I also think it's worth mentioning that I have very close, intimate friendships in adulthood that have been made possible because of the internet, but they're people who were part of my childhood. So I've talked about the, my three-way Voxer group with my two of my high school besties. And that really, like, really cemented itself um, just in the last couple of years and all because of Voxer. But I know for some people it's Marco Polo or a group text or FaceTime or whatever it is. Um, and that is, it's truly like, if I think about how would we communicate if not for the internet? I mean, that's a, like, I guess we'd call each other once in a while, but that is absolutely lifeline friendships for me that it's almost like we have part one, we were friends in real life, but part two is we have internet friendships as people who knew each other yeah. in childhood. Does that make sense? It's I like, love, yeah. it's like an internet relationship with someone I had a childhood friendship with really. Um, yeah. And yeah, I would say even people I'm related to, like cousins and second cousins and cousins in law, I'm able to have a more of a connection to those people than I ever would if you saw them at a family reunion every 10 years. So I, I just think there are lots of relationships and lots of different depths of relationships that the internet has made possible. I think that is so true. Um, Sarah, before I answer, I just want you to quickly look at your boxer. <laughs> I sent you a photo. Oh, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> in real time. <laughs> Here I go. Here I go. Okay. It's opening. Oh my God. <laughs> so I sent Sarah a picture of a guy licking his cat. <laughs> licking his cat with a. But look at the cat's face. I know. The cat looks the cat, really unhappy. The cat is super uncomfortable. The cat is looking at us like, do you see? <laughs> like, this guy spent money on a plastic. It It looks like something that like snapped off the back of a toy car or something. Yeah, oh well, and if you look at, if you, there's other pictures where it shows the whole thing, it looks exactly like the really disgusting looking tongue emoji. You know what I'm talking okay, about? Yes. Like the mm -hmm. big fat pink yeah. tongue. That's what it actually looks like, but with bristles. And yes, that cat looks like it is hating life. We'll have to put, we'll have to like link to that or put that in the show notes. Cause it's just too much. 
Did not know that this episode was going <laughs> in that direction. But that's the fun thing about Sundays. I know, right? We just it's just like license to do whatever. Okay. All right. Well, I will I will answer that question. Um, so I agree with you, by the way, about like the people that are from your past that you stay connected with. Um, my uncle Bruce is in his 80s. He lives in Florida. I I think I've seen him twice in the past 10 years, but he comments on almost all of my Facebook Aww. posts. And it's just really nice. He's always very sweet. And I'm like, thanks, Uncle Bruce. And they'd be like, oh, there's my dear, sweet, smart niece saying something smart again. And I'm like, God, shucky, darn it. Shucks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So there's that. And then there's like, yeah, the people that were my, and I moved a lot as a kid. So I moved out of districts that are now eight to, you know, eight hours away drive. So if it weren't for the internet, I would not have reconnected with a lot of the people that I knew in my youth. And sometimes even people like, some of my mom's old friends from church, I remember, I'll look them up sometimes and find someone and shoot them an email. And they always love hearing from people like, yeah. you know, from the past like that, which is really fun. Um, so the one that came to mind, though, when it comes to like uh, friendships that like originated on the Internet, I've talked a lot about my early mom's group that I became a part of when Jacob was a baby. And that was like the kind of very militant attachment parenting group for a while. But then it mellowed out. and. I'm still friends with a lot of those moms. Like I would say a very large percentage of the key players from those days, like the active members are still together um, on a Facebook group now. Okay. So I have a yeah. quick question. Sure. So I know it was in the forum date because this is yeah, pre-social media days. in forum days. Were you spread out all over the country or was there any regional, like, like local regional connection? No, or was it, was it spread everyone... out all over the world actually, okay. but mostly, wow. mostly yeah. United States and Canada, but um, okay. Yeah. And, and they're like for a while, um, one of the members who lived in Ohio used to do gatherings and people would come from pretty far. Like sometimes people would drive up from the South or, um, all over the Midwest from Canada and meet there. He was doing that for a while, like every year. And there would be sometimes 40 people at her house that would just kind of camp out with all their kids. The last time I went, I think Clara was like four or five years old. Um, but it was really fun. And so, yeah, so like these were all people from Truly, the only thing that brought us together was this mom's group, which was an mm-hmm. offshoot from, I believe, a parent's place um, bulletin board. Now, okay. where things got a little hairy was that at one point we changed from one message board to another because there was like a big blow up at the one and everyone switched and everyone was using handles. No one used their real names. Okay. And a lot of people changed their handles between the first group and the second, which, <laughs> you know, then you have to learn people's names again. Right. And then when everyone went to Facebook and started using their real names, I honestly don't know who half these people are. Like, I will try to associate them with a username from the past. And I can even see, I can see the font. I can see the color. I can see, like, the photos that we would have when people finally had good enough internet to, like, put Uh their kids' pictures in their um, signature line. I can see those in my head, but I can't always connect them to Mm -hmm. the real name that I now know. Um, but you know, you figure it out for some of them. And what's really kind of cool about that is that I was really young when I, I I was like 21, 20 when I joined and I was, so not only was I really young, but like, I, I feel like the group skewed a little older. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the women now are 20 years older than me, 25, Mm -hmm. some are 30 years older than me. So it's like a lot of them are now past midlife. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like they're in a completely different stage of life. Their kids are grown. Their kids have kids. Um, and it's kind of cool now to, to be kind of still connected to those people and coming up, yeah. coming up behind, just like I was before and seeing kind of what's next for me. And, mm-hmm. um, 
yeah, like kind of where I'm going. So I, I, that is a very unique thing that was just never would have happened. Right. If not never. for the internet. Never. Never, yeah. never, ever. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Well, this has been really fun, Sarah. I'm really glad that we talked about all these things and I hope the internet will continue to improve us in some ways. Yeah. Um, and not just, not just erode at our, our intellect. <laughs> Suck our soul away. Like, exactly. Too late now. Yeah. Um, anyway, coming up on Tuesday, we have another listener questions episode. So if you listen to the one from last Tuesday, we will have another one um, coming up in just a few days. Yeah. So check back for that on Tuesday. And then I want to mention two posts we have up on the blog. Very different uh, blog posts, but both great reads. Um, Sarah Lindbergh is our newest mom, like our resident newest mom contributor. So her first child just turned one and she has a beautiful essay about kind of what she learned from the first year of motherhood. So that is linked up in the show notes. And if you also are a new mom, go give that a read. Um, and then totally on the other end of the spectrum, we have a post going up this week about finding the right school, knowing if your kid is ready for school. Um, a whole bunch of questions we get all the time this time of year, because this is the time of year for open houses and registration due. And some families are making decision about public versus private versus holding a kid back. That tends to be kind of a January, February crunch. Um, so we got together four of our contributors who are teachers and educators or former educators um, to answer those questions. So it's almost like a panel style um, blog post that answers a bunch of really key questions. And they all did a great job with it. So I feel like it's going to be one of those post you bookmark and come back to um, anytime you are freaking out a little bit about school plans for the coming fall. So go check that out. Both we'll link to all of that in the show notes for this episode, which are always at themomhour.com. All right. Well, we will talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment. And it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's. M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.